The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, once again, good morning. Uh, I am glad you're here. I love seeing some of the faces that I haven't seen for some time. And if you are new, I hope you feel welcome here. We're glad you joined us as well. And uh, so uh, thanks for taking the time. We're in a series called Up Next Hope. We're walking through the gospel of Mark. And today we're still gonna be in chapter two. I know last week we were in chapter two. We're still gonna be there. We're gonna start at verse 13. And let me say this as I probably say now every week because I think it's super important. If you own a Bible, I encourage you to bring it um, just because I think it's important for you to get to know where the books in the Bible are at. Um, and so it's, it's a good habit to get into. I realize there's a Bible app. There's many of them. Um, I use a Bible app basically daily as well. So it's great. But for some of you that maybe you're not sure where the books of the Bible are at when we talk about Isaiah or Matthew or, you know, whatever, um, you can turn there and get a little more familiar with it. So just a, just a heads up there. Mark chapter two is where we're going to land. And today is part three in our series, Up Next Hope. I just read a, an article as I was preparing for this message uh, today, and the title of the article was 10 Reasons You Should Go to the Doctor. And it was a decent article about um, you know, having an informative relationship with your physician, about being healthy mentally, emotionally, you know, um, physically, having peace of mind, etc. I also noticed who the target audience was when number seven actually said uh, having a healthy cervix. So that was kind of a clear thing there for me. But... Um, <laughs> You're like, did he just say that? Okay, keep going. Um, But I'm not one, I don't know why, I'm not one to go to the doctor. Now, there's not any reason in particular that I don't go to the doctor. I'm not scared of the doctor or whatever. I just just don't typically go to the doctor. Um, And maybe it's like asking for directions and maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know. But um, it's kind of like, I'm fine. You know, everything's fine. All things are just fine. It's all good. Um, Of course, I suppose maybe psychologically, I'm being lazy or I'm avoiding stuff. But anybody else in that same category? I don't really go to the doctor, haven't been a whole lot. Yeah, more guy hands than girl hands, but I definitely see some gal hands there. Um, We assume everything's okay, so we don't go to the doctor. Or sometimes it's, we don't wanna know things that aren't okay. Let me say that again, when it comes to not going to the doctor, sometimes we just assume everything's okay, or we don't want to know that things aren't okay. And that's where we find Jesus in Mark chapter two in a certain story where he's hanging out with a group of people and there's a question of why is he hanging out with this group of people? Mark chapter two, starting in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Jesus, I pray today as we do in a gathering like this that your spirit would work in every single one of us, that there's certain things we can learn about how we live our lives, that that God can help us along forward on this journey, or God, it could take us backwards if we ignore it. And so I pray that we would live in surrender to what you want to do in each of us, in Jesus' name, amen. Once again, Jesus went out beside 
the lake. This became a custom for him. He would go outside and teach. And part of it is, even as we talked about Mark 1 and 2 in the beginning of it, that he began to get such notoriety that he, you couldn't fit him in a certain space with all the people that would gather. And so Jesus is outside by the lake and, and crowds are gathering. And it seems to me, especially, I mean, you can read any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And what you find is they always find Jesus. Jesus is like the parent and the little kids always find the parent, even when we're trying to disappear. You know, anybody with me? You know, you're trying to get away from your kids. You just need some solitude, some solace or whatever. And you're just chilling by yourself. Maybe anybody ever hide in the bathroom just to try to get away? Anyone? Come on, there's more than four of us, okay? Yeah, thank you very much. We try to hide, and yet inevitably the fingers are under the door. There's the, mom, dad, I know you're in there. You're like, no, and that's kind of like Jesus. They're like, there he is again. Everybody, come on, let's go and let's see Jesus. And that's kind of the situation that he's in. And, and so the, the crowd is gathering, and, uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of people, and it says that Jesus was teaching them. Remember if you go back to chapter one in verse 38, it specifically says that Jesus came to teach. And so he's teaching the crowds. It's a custom. It's what he's doing. And then it says in verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. Jesus is walking outside. He's by the lake. And oftentimes there would have been some sort of cobblestone or stone pathway that he's walking on and people are kind of gathering from the hillside. But, but tax collector booths were not uncommon. They'd be set up in certain places, especially on trade routes where they would be required to stop and pay a certain tax for the goods they were bringing into a city or you know, exiting a certain area. And so here's this guy. It's not uncommon that he would be there. His name's Levi, but, but here's something you need to understand. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. Levi is Matthew. Matthew is the writer of the gospel of Matthew. This is the same person, okay? It's the idea, is, you know, uh, Matthew is Levi. Now, here's the thing. He wasn't liked by his own people. Because Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was part of the nation of Israel historically, in his genealogy, but he was a tax collector, so his own people didn't like him. There were a couple of reasons specifically why they didn't like him. One, as a tax collector, they would often add tax exorbitantly so that they would end up getting rich. So many tax collectors gathered extra tax and they became rich by doing so. It was a pretty lucrative job and whatever they required a certain person to pay, they would have to pay. So they didn't like him for that reason. The other reason is because working for Rome, he was basically a sellout to his own people. They looked at him negatively because if you remember back in this time, Israel is not its own nation under its own rule. It's underneath Rome. And so they're subject to Rome. So anybody that works for Rome is a sellout. One commentary says it this way, and I love the picture it paints. When a Jew entered the customs service, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or as a witness in court session. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. And in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended to his own family. So here's this guy that, that his own people don't like him, but he's grown rich because of the money he's kind of extorted from people. And so here's Levi and Jesus walks along and says to him, hey, follow me. Now, the, the notoriety had gone around, so it wasn't just like this random guy going, hey, follow me. Not like you're at Walmart or you're at a store somewhere, and like, hey, come here, follow me. Like, I don't even know who you are. There's some notoriety here, so Levi's like, okay, and he gets up and walks away. Here's the thing. What Levi did in that moment was no small thing. 
One, the job was incredibly lucrative and not so common that a lot of people did it. So if he's gonna step away from the job, immediately it would be filled by somebody else because clearly plenty of people wanna get rich even today. And so here he is walking away and it costs him a ton. Because again, as he walks away, his position would be filled. It wasn't like when Jesus called some of the fishermen that that when they left and followed Jesus, if things didn't work out, they could go back to fishing, which by the way, they did do at the end of the gospel of John. Levi, in a moment somehow, counted the cost and left everything he knew to follow Jesus. It's a great question that causes tension in all of our hearts. Are we willing Are we in that place where no matter what it costs, God, I wanna follow you. No matter what it takes, God, I wanna be what you want me to be. No matter what I'm required to do, Lord, I want to follow you more than anything. Because if we understand the cost of following Jesus, he's clear multiple times in the gospels, it's laying down our own lives. Levi was the epitome of it. Levi got up, walked away from his stuff and followed Jesus. Now, why a tax collector? Why would Jesus say to somebody that wasn't even liked, that, hey, come and follow me? It's like, couldn't you pick someone else? Couldn't you pick somebody that wasn't, wasn't despised by his own people? And yet I can't help but think, and this is in my own study of what's going on here, I can't help but think for many that they would say, he doesn't deserve God's grace. He's extorted his own people. He isn't liked by us. It's a great reminder that although you and I may not be liked, although you and I have sins that can be a mile high, God still reaches out into our world and says, I care about you. I want you to come to me that no one is excluded from the grace of God. Isn't that good news for you and me? And so I love that it's Matthew as a tax collector, but another reason is because they would have had to keep strict records. And what I love is when you look at Levi or Matthew as a writer of the gospel of Matthew, remember the theme of the gospel of Matthew is is taking prophetic text from the Old Testament and pulling it into how Jesus fulfilled the role of Messiah as the New Testament began. And so you have Matthew, who honestly was probably one of the more perfect people to fill that very role as a writer of the Gospels. Jesus says, follow me. And the man everyone hated was invited. And again, that's the heart of our Heavenly Father. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and with his disciples. And again, I love that. What happened was Levi walked away, but what's sort of inferred here is before he actually was gone from everybody he knew and followed Jesus to wherever Jesus would go, which would eventually be Jerusalem, he basically, this is kind of his going away party. Somehow here we, we, we get this idea that he probably invited people for one last meal together and it was a bunch of, of, of riffraff according to the, the, the religious leaders. It says that that Jesus was eating at Levi's house and there were many tax collectors and sinners. And it says, for there were many who followed him. Somehow Levi cared that Jesus would maybe mingle with them and Jesus was happy to do so. Now, what, I, what, I, what pains me a little bit is the idea that, that the idea of tax collector, the, the title tax collector is derogatory. Tax collectors and sinners. What, what if the job that you did as a career were listed along with the phrase and sinners? How, how would you like that? Like, you know, plumbers and sinners. Yep, no kidding. You know, school teachers and sinners, all of them. I mean, they're just lumped together. Boeing employees and sinners, there they are together. I mean, we have the, what? Pastors and sinners, right? That kind of does I don't, anyway, but. 
Actually, unfortunately, I probably, let's just keep going. <laughs> Jesus, that's not in my, I, this is, okay, scripture, let's read scripture. But, but it says um, he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners for there were many who followed him. And yet the gripe from the religious leaders was this. What kind of person attracts people like that? What kind of person attracts sinners? What kind of lifestyle do we live that that sinners would be attracted? That's that's deplorable, according to the religious leaders. But I want you to listen carefully. Because what I love more than anything when I read this text is is that Jesus lived in such a way that his life, that the work of the Spirit that overflowed from him poured out into the lives of other people. And it it was those that that, that we would say are, are sinners that were attracted. There was something in them that they needed desperately. And while maybe in the moment they couldn't pinpoint it, they knew that Jesus had something they needed because many of them, followed him. And I love that. It creates a tension in me. Is how we live attractive towards those who don't yet know Christ? Is how you live compelling towards those who don't yet know Jesus? See, for the religious leaders, for them it was, look, if you become one of us, if you follow our traditions, if you do all of these things that we say that you need to do, then you're in the club. But if you don't, we want nothing to do with you. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus simply let the overflow of the spirit that filled him pour out into the lives of other people. Let me ask you this. Are those that aren't part of church world, are those that, that don't maybe believe in Christ, are they attracted to who you are as a follower of Christ? Sometimes we get busy just living our lives and going to work and paying the bills and getting the kid to the baseball game and coming home and getting their homework done and going to bed and getting up and doing it again. Then summer comes and it looks a little bit different, but we're just going through the responsibilities of life. But sometimes the the, the problem is we're not considering how we're living. And so what happens is over time, we're, we're not really shining light. We're just going through the motions. We're not really thinking through what does it look like for me to love this person well. And for Jesus with tax collectors and sinners, in our context, it would be the neighbor that you don't like. The family member that rubs you the wrong way. The friend who drains you all the time because there's always something they're complaining about. And while you might go, Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you work in them? Lord, would you do something? If they showed up in here, you'd be like, oh no. We might pray for people that, that we live near or that we work with or that we're related to. Man, I just I want them to surrender to you, Lord. But deep in the recesses of our heart is this, but maybe at another church. Do it somewhere else. Or the people you're praying for live somewhere else. There's no way they'd show up here. And you feel kind of relieved at that. God, would you work in my heart? Would you work in our hearts that we don't have to feel this? I want them to surrender to you, but not near me, Lord. For there were many who followed him. 
I want you to remember, and again, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write some of these addresses down in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John, it's the last book in the Bible, and John is having a picture of the end times and, and all this kind of stuff that happens as things ramp up and persecution for the church and, and kind of stuff that's really challenging to understand. But in chapter 7, verse 9, he's kind of given a window into eternity. And I want you to notice what he says in, in chapter 7, like I said, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Listen, from every nation, tribe, and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. John says in his vision of eternity, there was people from every nation, tribe, and language, and tongue. The Great Commission, Jesus said this, go and make disciples of, come on, what? All nations. Mark 13, 10, the gospel that we're studying. Mark penned this, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. See, listen to me carefully, because here's what we do. When I say things like, you guys, do we understand the gospel is for everybody? Mostly we go, uh-huh, yeah, we do. Yep, I believe that. But, but let, let me step on some toes. You're gonna walk out here with some ingrown toenails and a decision to, to attend a different church, and it's fine. When we say the gospel message is for everybody, it's easy to say, yeah. But when we say yes to something like that, let me, let me explain. This is why race relations matters. This is why how we treat immigrants matters. I'm not gonna get into the, the politics of illegal immigration, all that happens, but what I would say is that for you and I, how our nation treats others matters greatly because it's a reflection of its people. If somebody walks up to my door that I don't know and has a certain need and says, hey, could you help me out? Or, you know, I just, could I, could I come in and, and get some relief and maybe get a glass of water and I don't know them at all, what am I gonna do? Get off my porch and you don't belong here. You need to call first and send me an email. If I can help, scripture actually tells me I should help. Ouch. But if I can't help, it's not me kicking people to a curb in a careless manner that says you're just another number in this world. I know nobody likes this. I don't hear one amen, I don't care. Because I understand what happens in our world. But my deep concern as a messenger of the gospel of Christ, as a representative of the kingdom of Christ, is that there's all kinds of things we put in front of people that keep them from understanding God's love and God's grace. And that's what pains me. That, that, that's where, I mean, when, when you, more than ever, the world that we live in seems more divisive. Anybody feel that? Yes. You're like, no, I don't. <laughs> we all do. What the problem is, you're scared to respond because of what I'm about to say. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> He'll end up looking right at me. He'll probably call me out. See, I saw your hand. Stand up. No, I'm not going to do that. 
The world is more divisive. And there are people with differing opinions. The problem comes when our differing opinions cause us to separate from one another. Now, let me be more clear about it. If you and I were to sit down and have a, let's say, a one-hour coffee conversation, I almost guarantee we could find places where you and I disagree about something we're kind of passionate about. We all could, right? We really could. You go to lunch with you. You go to coffee with him. You go to dinner with them. We sit down together for an hour and talk through the big things of life. You're going to find that we don't all agree about everything. The problem comes when, when we disagree and decide I'm done with them because they disagree. Do you know what, listen, I only know of one specific prayer Jesus prayed for you and me, specifically. And maybe there's more, but right now off the top of my head, I can only think of one and I believe it's in John 18. Do you know what Jesus prayed? It's a trap. <laughs> Father, who said it? Father, forgive them is a great prayer, but that wasn't the one. Who said it? Somebody said it. Slurpee Sunday. <laughs> hey, now I'm going to give you another Slurpee card. Jesus said, I pray that they would be one so that the world may know. And yet you have this church that's better than that church because they did this in this situation and they said that in this situation. And so they're against them, even though they're both part of the same kingdom, but they're not because they don't like them. Do you understand as you play it out what happens when if people disagree with you, you shut them out? You begin to circle the wagons around people that only believe everything you believe. And it only exacerbates the problem. I don't fear conversations with people that disagree with me. Not because I'm always right, but because I'm willing to engage with people that have a different perspective because it's healthy. Because it challenges the way I process who I am and what I believe. And there's a certain maturity lacking in our world where what it becomes about is you disagree and we're done here. I've sat down with people recently who have said, I'm leaving the church. I'm going somewhere else. And part of the explanation had everything to do with the way that we approach certain things they didn't like and they're gone. I love you. And there's other great churches out there. And I don't say it flippantly because it breaks my heart. And I do wake up at 2 a.m. and lose plenty of sleep over it. And I do get scathing emails about how people disagree with me. Totally. Happens frequently, at least weekly. But you know what I am? I am human. If you cut me, I bleed. At the same time, I'm also called to follow Christ and help people see God's love in him. And there's no way by shutting others out that disagree that we can reach people. You're like, man, it hurts to come. It's summer. Don't do this during summer. <laughs> Couldn't we do this during fall when it's a little darker? We can just kind of leave and go home. I just got a spiritual spanking. Okay, that was weird. Let's just, see, I, I don't know. I, I ruin it every time. All right. <clears throat> Jesus is offering life everywhere he goes. I want you to see it this way. It's pouring from him. When Jesus was baptized, do you remember what happened? It says the heavens opened. There, there was the spirit that, that came in the form of a dove and descended upon him. And there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. You remember this? Okay, the idea of the spirit descending on him was him being filled then with the spirit. 
And Jesus being filled with the Spirit meant that that, that that filling couldn't help but spill out onto others. And so throughout Jesus' life and ministry, life is spilling all over people. He's with tax collectors and sinners, and they realize he has something that they desperately need. And so the thirsty people are drinking and drinking and drinking of this guy who has hope, this guy who can perform miracles, this guy who people want to hear teach because he has a certain authority. They're coming in droves and drinking of what he has to offer. Write down John chapter four if you're taking notes. In John chapter four, there's a moment where Jesus is, is at a well and the disciples have gone into town to get food and he's chilling out at the well, just resting. And a woman comes up and she wants to draw water from the well and she ends up in this conversation with Jesus. Now, there's all kinds of nuance to it that I don't wanna get into for today, but in John four, they end up in this conversation about living water. And in John chapter four, um, it says this, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's like pointing to the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus did was pour out the abundance of the Holy Spirit in him into the lives of other people. And you and I are called to do the same thing because in every person we've heard before, there is this vacuum that can only be filled by what the Spirit can do. And so we're called to be filled in such a way that our lives are poured out into the lives of the people we love, into the lives of the people we live by, into the lives of the people that you work with or that you shop around or that you drive near. Our lives are called to spill out in all these ways. And you go, well, what does it look like? Let me give you a simple answer that I've said many times. It's Galatians 5.22, life by the spirit. And what does Paul say in Galatians 5.22? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you meet somebody that's overflowing with love, isn't that compelling? When you meet somebody when things are overwhelming and, 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 and frustrating and they have a peace, isn't that encouraging? Somebody that holds on to a joy, somebody that has that self-control, somebody that walks out that gentleness. Isn't it refreshing when you take a bite of their fruit, you're like, I want more of that fruit. That's that overabundance that spills out in the lives of others. Thirsty souls need rivers of life. It's that simple. And it's meant to fill us in a way that spills into the lives of other people. See, God created this spiritual thirst in everyone. And for some of you go, I don't know. I don't see it in that person. It's not about how you see it. It's about the fact that God is at work when you don't always see it at all. If you go back in history, there's a few quotes I just wanna offer you. St. Augustine, you're talking a long time ago, said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Anybody found that to be true? Blaise Pascal, this is from 1670. And he was writing in defense of the Christian faith. It's a bit poetic, but let me read it. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in a man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, 
since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. And C.S. Lewis, being very aware of that quote from Blaise Pascal in his book, Mere Christianity, which is one of my favorites, says this. If I find myself if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. There's something in us that yearns for something more until we find it in Christ. And it's a story of many in this room. I've said before, I didn't grow up in church world. Many of you didn't grow up in church world. And you have all kinds of memories of what you used to do. I sat in a, I officiated a memorial yesterday and three people, I'm not exaggerating, three people on the very front row knew me very well at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and have stories that, that I was like a little bit afraid to do this memorial because I'm like, you knew who I used to be. There's another one today on the second row I'm just realizing here. Hey, Give you some money. <laughs> the whole idea is this idea, the whole idea is this picture that God has created in us, this yearning for him. And everyone has it. And I want you to believe that because as you live out a life full of the spirit and it changes how you decide to do certain things, ways that you live that, that honor the Lord, people are watching. And inevitably, I'm telling you, because there are stories of it in this room. Somebody in the lobby just approached me earlier and said the exact same thing about their own lives. When you and I live it out, whether we think people notice or not, there's a moment where somebody will say, what is that? Or I, I see you get up every Sunday and you drive somewhere and then you come home. Are you going to church? There are all kinds of ways that it comes out, but it's amazing how when you and I live it out, inevitably the people around us will take note. This is why the things that you post on social media matter. People are watching. There are all kinds of individuals that I see post out there on social media, Instagram and Facebook and all these different things. And some of them, it's like, oh, Lord. But some of it's like, man, that's pretty encouraging. People are watching. So Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and the religious leaders are like, does he not know who he's hanging out with? And at the end of the story, in verse 17, it says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It was the Pharisees who said, doesn't he know who they are? And why would he ever? Do you know the word Pharisee means separated ones? They literally gave themselves, let's call ourselves separated ones. Wouldn't that be cool? And they create all these traditions. And like I said earlier, unless you abide by their traditions, and even in some contexts get baptized into their traditions, you didn't belong. And their idea, and I hate to say this, but their heart for being separated had everything to do with the belief that they felt like God loved them uniquely because of all of their traditions. That's why when Jesus came along, they didn't know it. The question I have is this. When Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners, who are the real sinners here? Sure, it's the tax collectors and sinners, the riffraff, the individuals who had nothing to do with the traditions. 
But sometimes the fear is even more so those that were so blind to their hard-heartedness that they didn't realize how sick they really were. What does it look like for you and I to allow God to do the inventory in our hearts? God, if I'm sick at all, would you show me? It's why the psalmist talks about, as I lie on my bed at night, before I sleep, search me. It's why this discipline of repentance that doesn't get talked about a lot is so important in our hearts. God, if there's anything going on in me, would you reveal it? Would you show me? Because I don't wanna become so hard towards certain things in my world that I allow them to be there and it's hardening me even more so. And I don't recognize the spirit in me anymore. And no longer am I overflowing to the measure that I'm pouring out on others. I'm just existing. And then of course the other side of it is, is your life, is the theme of your life, the idea that you represent Christ. That wherever you go, Whatever you do, that you're a reflection of how Jesus lived right here in Mark chapter two. I was listening to a podcast the other day as I wrap this up here. I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and I gotta be honest, in the world that we live in, I think many of us have felt that like, I just wanna escape. I just wanna get out. This whole world is crazy and whatever else. And, and the idea is like unplug and take my nest egg and I'll go live on it in some country where I can live a long time on that. And, and the point was made in this podcast as he's talking about this, how we all kind of feel this sometimes. He said, but you can only live on the beach for so long. You can only sit on the beach for so long. And some of you guys are like, that's a long time. <laughs> like, let's have a competition because that go a long time. But, but his whole point is this. Look, we all need to get away sometimes, vacation and, and stuff like that. It's great. But the purpose of our lives, as long as we have breath, is to represent Christ. And it means go relax, go be filled. Go allow the spirit to let you chill. That's great. But come back and engage purposefully. Come back and allow the spirit to fill us in a way that our lives pour out, spill over into the lives of the people that are around us. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and for a few moments here as we have a little more time than we've had previously because of kind of where we're at uh, with our gatherings. We're gonna worship here in a few moments just for, for a little bit before we dismiss. And, and as, we, as we worship, I just wanna challenge you. Specifically, when we talk about is the theme of our lives to be filled to overflowing that we spill out in the lives of others in a way that the fruit of the spirit is, or are we just kind of existing? And and in a moment here, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand because I wanna pray for you. And then I just want, as we worship and and Heather and the team are gonna lead us as we worship, that you just allow the work of the spirit in your own heart. I can lead in prayer and I'm happy to do that. But I think too, as we worship for you personally, right where you're at, just to pray, God, here I am. But if you feel the tension I'm talking about and you go, you know what? I don't know that I represent, as the theme of my life, I represent Christ the way I want to. Maybe I'm just busy and I just kind of go through the motions and years go by and it kind of is what it is, but there's not the intentionality. Or maybe you would say, as I read Galatians 5.22, we talk about the fruit of the spirit. That, that you, I don't know, I'm not so, not so great there. Or maybe you would go back to what Jesus says in Mark chapter two. Hey, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. And maybe it's about you going, Lord, is there any area where there's a sickness here or there's something going on that just doesn't gel? If any of that is you, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I wanna pray. 
a lot of us. And honestly, I have my hand. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.